So it took probably like six months, I would say, to get our shit together and figure out a name. And Bitch Talk really came out of, we didn't know if we should use it or not. And um, I still question if we should use it. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But we're like, you know, that's what we call it when our friends and I get together in happy hour. Let's go bitch talk. That was Aaron Lim, creator and host of Bitch Talk Podcast. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Erin tells the story of how she started Bitch Talk. Like many projects, it has evolved over time. These days, they're fast approaching their 500th episode, and they've just relaunched a new website along with a brand refresh. Erin left off in part one with her first year interning with the Giants. Here's Erin. But so that was that was 99, and then... Um, and then I worked uh, 2000 to 2001 in the community relations office. And um, I just have to say, I, I love Dusty Baker so much and um, always a true gentleman, just always top notch. I loved, I loved working with that team. I loved working with Dusty and um, just a lot of good guys during that time. Um, yeah, a lot of great, great people at the Giants. Wait, so you were with them in 01? Through the beginning of 01, but left. Oh, never mind. I'm but thinking, not through that season. Because they were good in 01, but then they made the World Series in 02, right? Okay, never yeah. mind. Nope. So, Wasn't there. I left. I had yeah. to finish school. But you were still a <laughs> fan, You were still a fan, right? Actually, you know, it's... A, or were you a fan? It's an interesting thing after you leave places like that, and they're such a part of your life. Um, you need, at least for me, and I've noticed this with other things, you just need a break. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's no joke working for a major league, whatever team. Yeah. You're kind of living and breathing it every day. And not only are you just working in the office, you're at the games all of the time. So was your break 2002? It was 2001. It was 2001 for sure. I don't even think I went to any games. Mm-hmm. I was like, donezo. Uh and trying to finish school. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then after those internships, then I uh, went into TV. And I worked at Channel 2 while I was at uh, Cal State East Bay. Well, at the time it was Cal State Hayward. So I would do the morning shift. I would uh, get there around 3 or 4 in the morning. KTVU. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, go to school and take a nap in my car. And uh, that's how that worked. And then I worked um, towards the end of school. I was in school for a little bit, everybody. Because um, I was also working. <laughs> I was working. Yeah, you're taking your time. Yeah. And I... Um, Living life. I worked at Cron when Cron, um, after Cron and NBC, um, Carol and Channel 4, uh, split ways, but we still had a, a fun morning show and I worked with Liam Makelum and um, helped, well, I during the end of school, I was a PA and I worked my ass off there. I would work the morning shifts there as well while I was still going to school uh, in San Francisco and then I'd work the weekend shift too. And just learning how to produce shows. Like his. Like Liam's. Well, I wasn't Liam's producer, mm. but I did I did do some segments with him. But I was uh, so after I graduated school, um, the uh, executive producer of the weekday morning show, Aaron Perro, I'll give him a shout out. He's still at Cron, 
tapped me and he was like, hey, the booking producer is leaving. You want this job? And I was like, uh, yeah. And man, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> You're booking segment, segmented news every morning, every day, uh, Monday through Friday. Um, and it was fun. Uh, I got to book a lot of cool people and also you're just looking for stories every day and, and it's like cops and politicians and that kind and, of thing or? and also authors and comedians and mm. um, yeah actors that was mostly my friend Shelly uh, uh, got to book a lot of more of the arts and entertainment stuff but I was more news news so like that's when Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco and um it was an interesting time because I didn't live in San Francisco yet. So all of that stuff didn't really like I, I knew who he was and knew the knew the news around him. But I didn't know. I, I didn't understand the politics really yet because I didn't live here. It didn't need to mean anything. Right. It was just like, just get Gavin Newsom on. Right. right. <laughs> Have him meet with Phil Mateer tomorrow. Okay. At the coffee roastery in, in the marina, which is still there, by the way. But yeah, doing live shots and stuff. So then what was it that kind of spurred you to move over to the city i went to la for a minute after cron i got a i was offered um not a great position but i was like well if i'm gonna do la and think this is the way i want to go remember way back in that story when i'm like i want to be that person in black on the yes. the red carpet like i have to go to la yeah. and i hated it um but i was thankful for a friend of mine she got me a job i slept on her couch for a few months and i was like i don't think I can do this because I don't care about Paris Hilton that much. And, um, and I just didn't care about looking at B roll, um, of celebrities all day long and talking about them. I just didn't. And uh, I thought I did because that was some of my job up in the Bay area, but it wasn't all of my job. And so, uh, came back up here and I worked in TV production mostly for like core TV at the time. Um, HGTV and um, I enjoyed it. It was just like, it was just producing. And um, at that time I met who is now basically my creative partner, Angela Tabora. Also podcast. Guest. Has been on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. And so she and I met a, a long time ago. Early 2000s kind of thing. Yeah. 2000. She thinks, I think it's 2004 or five. We mm -hmm. might've met mm -hmm. four. And uh, yeah, we, we couldn't have been more different um, night and day because I, at that time in my 20s, just sort of a serial monogamist and always in relationships and that felt safe. And she was just out and about living her best life and and doing it. And so our paths crossed and not long after our paths crossed and I moved into the city in 05. Broke up with my boyfriend and uh, started living that single life. <laughs> Well. Started living that single life, bitches, yeah. and uh, had a good time. Uh, and uh, in the midst of all of that, and living in San Francisco, and um, uh, meeting a bunch of new folks, and and uh, oh, where do I want to go with this? Meeting a bunch of folks, having Craigslist roommates, like. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the first thing though, I should say was I, I got to move in with my best friend, which it couldn't have worked out better. She was looking for a new place in the city and I still hadn't moved out of my house. And, um, and that story is because honestly, my dad was going through cancer treatment since like a year after, about a year after 
No, year and a half, two years later after I graduated high school. So from uh, 97 through 2007, he was going through cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. And it would have been weird for me like, peace out. I'm, I'm leaving. Right. And, uh, you know, good luck. So I finally moved out of my parents' house. And it was fine. I was in the city. You know, they could come visit. I could go to the go to San Leandro any day. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, and then in 2007, my dad passed away. It was October. And I remember after when he was passing away in the hospital, I was like, man, he didn't really get to live the life he wanted to. Hmm. He never traveled outside of the States. Really? I don't think he ever had a passport. And even if he did, he didn't use it. Oh. And I just remember going like, I gotta, I gotta live my life. And, uh, was that kind of your biggest lesson? Yes. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I gotta. I gotta do more. I want to do more. And that but was oh seven. That was oh seven. I didn't know what that looked like. So mm-hmm. fast forward a few years of, yeah, living my life. Uh, Ange Ange had left and came back. Is that how that worked? No, Ange had um, my friend Angela, who I met in production moved down to LA and she was doing this thing and I loved, I loved her for it. She was, uh, she started working in the hospitality industry and bartending and making money. And then she would take off for months and travel on her own. And I was like, that's fucking rad. And, uh, and I remember there was a time in 2012 she left and she, um, she was traveling through like Southeast Asia. And when she came back, we were at turtle tower and in the, TL. in the TL. And I didn't know anything about Turtle Tower until Angela introduced me to that, of course. And she was talking about, she's like, I met this family and um, I think they're really cool. I really want to do a documentary about them. And uh, they're from Israel. I don't know what this looks like yet. And I'm really into this. And at that time, I was working as a film publicist in San Francisco. Um and working with a lot of filmmakers and young filmmakers and just actually understanding that filmmakers are <laughs> filmmakers are people too. They're just right. And um, it just takes an idea and, and a lot of work. So she was telling me about this family and I'm like, this sounds cool. And uh, I told her, I'm like, okay, I'll help you produce it. And so fast forward a year and getting our shit together and doing a Kickstarter, we started our journey on the Nomadic Family Project. And at the same time, uh uh, my former podcast partner and I had been asked to be on a podcast called Your Straight Male Friend. And I was tasked to, um, just through people that I knew, they were like, can you find us a bunch of single women that are dating in the city and want to be on and we'll give you guys mimosas? And I'm like, yeah, of course, <laughs> duh. And so did that. And my uh, former co-host and I were on that show. And when we came out, we're like, we could probably do something like this because we already kind of do it with our friends. So we're sitting on at a bar in the Fillmore after that recording that podcast. We're like, let's do it. So it took like those two trains were sort of moving at the same time a little bit. So the Open Nomadic talk. Family Project yeah. and Bitch Talk, what, what came to be Bitch Talk. And so at the time, the only like it seemed like the only person and woman of the only woman of color that was doing a podcast was Aisha Tyler, who's actually from San Francisco. She's awesome. It was called Girl on Guy. Mm-hmm. And 
I was kind of like the only thing out there. And uh, yeah, we did our we did our homework. And as I still say, the landscape is pretty white and pale. No, it was pretty pale and male. That's it. And uh, so f- it took probably like six months, I would say, to get our shit together and figure out a name. And Bitch Talk really came out of, we didn't know if we should use it or not. And um, I still question if we <laughs> should use it. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But we're like, you know, that's what we call it when our friends and I get together in happy hour. Let's go bitch talk. So that's why and how bitch talk came to be. And um, that was 2013. I think we released our first episode in the summer of 2013. Sure. That seems almost seven years ago. Yeah. That seems like forever ago. Um, But yeah, I mean, we just we had some mics my former co-host was a singer and she had mics and she had garage band and all that stuff and knew how to work it oh, yeah. and um yeah that's we just sat around a kitchen table in oakland and did it so so you guys produced it yourself yeah in the beginning yeah okay. self-produced okay. and then um and then parallel to that was nomadic family project we did the kickstarter and then we ended up uh, meeting the family of five um in nepal <laughs> and we ended up uh climbing the himalayas with them because was that your first trip out of the country no okay no i did a semester abroad when i was at dvc in italy okay and bef- like before that i went to mexico but i had never been to like let's go to nepal everybody that sounds that sounds logical right um but the reason why we did that, the Nomad Family Project, and meeting them in Nepal was this family had been traveling for about three years at that time, two and a half years. It was only supposed to be a few months. And they just, um, they were traveling on a budget, family of five, and, and um, were really world schooling their kids and would land in these different pockets of the world and, and live amongst people. Not They weren't trying to be there and... Um, taking over cultures they wanted to learn cultures and they wanted their kids to be immersed in culture because that just wasn't happening where they lived in israel and they weren't able to spend as much time as they were um on the road when they were at home so um so you know and uh had tasked them to be like tell us tell us like the three things like big things you guys want to do before you go back home and one of them was Let's do a Himalayan trek in oh, Nepal. As you do. And we're like, okay, that's the one we're going to do with them. And so we did that. Yeah. And that movie's still in production because, yeah, it's very indie. Some really good trailers. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to nomadicfamilyproject.com and, and see. I guess not trailers, but like out, outtakes. Well, that was Recolors. Nomadic Mondays. Nomad, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Nomadic. Those were fun. But, I mean, I, I would never... Yeah, I, I, I hope that Ange and I, it's been a little bit of a traumatic experience for us doing this on a our traumatic own. Traumatic fam- family. Yeah, <laughs> project. Um, just because it's, again, it's her and I really doing it. It's really her editing um, a ton of footage by herself to make it into a 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard if, if yeah. you don't have the, the funding and or the time and life happens. But um but anyways quarantine happens and then the pandemic happens but actually now she's been no it's been good she's she's editing a lot right now but um but yeah bitch talk also is happening at the same time and 
it just it's evolved and it evolved into having a producer about a year or so after how did that story happen because um well how did you guys get hooked up with Shar? So I was a huge, so the show, um, this all leads into, you know, its own little story. The show that my previous podcast partner and I were on called Your Straight Male Friend um, had two guys on it, Maddie Stout, who you know, and Marcus Osborne. Those guys came from Alice uh, Radio. And so that's how I knew them. I was a huge, huge, huge fan of the Alice Morning Show around the time. I mean, I had listened a lot forever, but I loved the um, iteration of when uh, Maddie Stout was the producer, No Name uh, was the was the dude voice on there, Sarah, and then there was this person called Producer Shar on their show. And so fast forward to like a year and some months after we started Bitch Talk. Marcus and Maddie had a company called Breathe Radio and they were looking for content for that station. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, I think Bitch Talk should be on there. And so that's how we got teamed up with Char. And I was a big fan because I remember producer, well, they actually called her The Boot. That's what they named her. The Boot. The Boot. Because she used to get tickets and then boot. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh my so God. I was a big fan of The Boot and um, I was kind of fangirling. I'm like, oh shit. Like I knew who she was and she had some radio chops and she um, she was our producer and we were live on Friday nights and it was called Bitch Talk and we're like, that's sort of where the whole happy hour idea also came from for Bitch Talk was we also were on a Friday night at a happy hour kind of idea live on Breathe Radio and so um, that's how that all started. And then um, we started cr- making this bitch talk more into a show than just like a podcast around a table. And um, fast forward, I don't remember how many months, we did a, our first live event at now um, what's RIP? The, uh, uh, like which one? <laughs> um, Polk's, Hemlock. Okay. We... Um, we had done our first live event. It was our hundredth show at the Hemlock, um, and I think we sold. Did we sell tickets? Sure, we sold tickets. I think we sold it out. It was mo- mainly our friends and family, and and some fans, and had a DJ, Big Russ. We had uh, Angela on the show because uh, we'd had her on the show. We had our friend Dino Ray Ramos, who's now in LA uh, at Deadline on the show. We also had. Um, Reggie Steele, who's a local comedian, he'd been on the show, and we'd had um, Broke Ass Gourmet, Gabby Moskowitz, Moskowitz, Gabby, Gabby Moskowitz, yeah, Gabby Moskowitz, on the show, and uh, it was fun. But I learned from that uh, from that live event, like you, it can't go too long. <laughs> it went very long. Oh, I'm I'm still thankful for the audience who stayed on a weeknight um, through a podcasting experience because it was our first time doing a live event like that, but. Um, not long after that hundredth event, my podcasting partner, my original one, um, I could just tell she wanted to leave the show. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And, um, then I was like, Oh fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> Cause it was scary. And we just, you absolutely wanted to keep going. Yeah. It was just, we just started doing interviews with like directors mm. and stuff. We just kind of edged our way in and mm. we just hit a hundred, like just things yeah, were kind of starting Yeah, and I didn't want to give it up. So she left and um, it's like, well, who's going to be the, the, the co-host? Because I didn't want to do it by myself. 
And so somehow I got Ange to be the reluctant co-host um, pretty consistently for about a year. It was it was guest co-host for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, it was, the jo- it was a running joke. Like, she, she'll admit it herself. She has a hard time committing to things. So, um, you know, I didn't want to scare her and be like, you're going to be the co-host of Bitch Talk. But then she is now the co-host of Bitch Talk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's been on longer than the original co-host was. So, at this point. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, bitch talk evolved and having a producer, um, definitely helps, I think. And, um, just done a lot of cool shit and, um, you know, this is coming out and and we have a new website that's debuting and sort of a new brand and then you actually get to see our faces and, um, what kind of spurred the rebranding for you? What brought that on? It's just time. It's just time. Yeah. If we just needed it, we needed a little dust off. And I just, we didn't have, people don't know what we look like unless you know us. Yeah. And I think, especially now during the pandemic, I think now more than ever, it's good to know that this has been, it's been a woman of color podcast since it started. But now, and for the last few years, it's been Asian American female led podcast. And um, people should know that. I'm going to just, venture something is that you guys went to Sundance two years in a row yeah after that first still tired (laughs) since right since that first time I feel like bitch talk has like your your star has risen like the well no like the level of your podcast has changed yeah I the podcast itself hasn't changed it's still like the basic bitches are still basic bitches are still great um but yeah but everything like all the all the interviews that you guys have done today. And so for me that that makes sense that like here's a new face, here's a new look and feel yeah. for what we're doing. Yeah, and you know, the more that we're doing this, the more we're asked to do things that are more forward facing and not just behind a mic, which is also always scary as hell. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, now now for some reason we can <laughs> We can call W. Kamal Bell like a f- literally a friend of the show. Like we joke about that when we have really good interviews, but you know he seems to be someone that's pretty much uh, lifting up our podcast, which is are the things like I want for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps when bigger stars really amplify amplify your voice, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's just it's it's becoming something that that I've been I've been wanting. Um, I didn't think I, or I didn't know that I wanted it when we started. It was just like, we're going to do this thing. Right. But. Happy hour. Yeah. It was just a, you know, it's just a happy hour with a couple chicks, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and podcasting has changed so much since we started and so many people have a podcast and I'm so happy that they have an outlet, but it's, um, you know, it's just, it's hard to see a lot of people have podcasts and be and to, I'm just being really honest right now it's hard to see those people have a podcast and have like a million followers when you've been doing it for like seven right. years and just trying to crack the surface and right. say hey we're over here too and we've been doing this for a long time and we're really consistent and we bring you really good shit and really yeah and um and yeah but but it keeps keeps us going because we like we like doing it too it's fun and um 
if you guys listen to Bitch Talk and you listen to our interviews when Ange and I do them together, we never, never, ever, ever plan out our questions for our guests ever. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if it's a huge guest and we're nervous, we're like, okay, these are probably the, some of the things we're going to do. But other than that, like when you hear us ask questions, it's what each of us um, have thought of and prepared and we don't talk about what we're going to ask with each other. Never, yeah. ever, yeah. ever. So it's all very, or- it's very organic yeah. as, as the kids say. But, um, and that's, that's one of the things I love. I, Ange and I are just like, we're soulmates in terms of creativeness and, uh, when you find people like that, you want to stick with them no matter what that project is. So I'm, right. I'm not looking back. I'm not surprised that she and I now are doing the podcast together because, we're just like creative partners through the end, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Although she needs to get on social media and it's really bugging me. <laughs> so, Bitch Talk is basically what inspired this podcast. Okay. And I think it's... Well, I know. I just think that it would be interesting for listeners of this podcast to hear directly from the person who inspired it. Oh. I mean, so I just want to say thank you. And thank you for also doing it. I love Bitch Talk Podcast. Oh, thanks. I love what you guys do. So... Thanks. We love it too. It's fun. And, uh, it, I think it's one of those things, wh- whatever happens with bitch talk, I hope that there are young girls out there, especially girls of color or Asian specifically that are like, that see us and are like, what is this? And who are they? And this isn't your typical, not your typical Asian. Um, because I wish I had this when I was younger. Cause I, yeah, who knows what I would have done. And I'm not saying that what I've done isn't great, but um, to have an outlet, outlet like this and know that there are Asian American women doing this kind of work, um, I hope is inspiring to younger, younger people. That was Aaron Lim. Join us next week when we'll hear from Josh Chuck director of the documentary film Chinatown Rising. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography for this episode is by past guest Chloe Jackman. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes, check out all of our live events, and visit our store to help support us. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a favor and rate and review what we do. And if you have any feedback for us or suggested guests, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay safe.